But yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. incredibly disheartening when you have like I look at sometimes I'll go and look at the podcast charts, and it's depressing. <laughs> it's utterly depressing to see what yeah. the most popular Christian podcasts in the world are, or especially in the states. You know, you look at the states, and it's a mix of prosperity gospel, new apostolic reformation, and then that sort of feel good, seeker sensitive. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this next episode of Into the Prey, Breaching the Chaos of the Church. You'll recognize Elisa, I'm sure, from uh, the world of YouTube. Welcome, Elisa. Hey, so great to be with you. Your your um, your studio background is looking bling. Is that, is that a word that you, that you guys... <laughs> yeah, yeah, we say bling. <laughs> I've got no idea. Yeah, my husband it's, built it, all of this. And when COVID hit, he's a road manager who travels, and so he came off the road and just started watching YouTube tutorials about how to build a YouTube studio. And so he did this. Isn't that beautiful? Let's talk about the church. Mm-hmm. That's really what we're here for. And um, I would love us, for the benefit of people listening, to just have a really open and honest conversation about the church. Folk who join this this podcast and the YouTube um, with us will be used to us talking about the chaos of the church. And I don't or don't want to assume that you know, I I guess you can guess what we mean by that. But let's talk about the chaos of the church. And the thing that um, I think it'd be good to talk about today is the progressive church that you've written a book about. I'm guessing you may be in some ways fed up talking about that. (laughs) Um, I don't know. But um, you've got an article on your website that I'd love us just to go through today, if that's okay, in brief. Um, but yeah, do you want to do you want to just introduce yourself? That'd probably be a good place to start. Yeah, well, thanks for that. I, yeah, it's I. In some ways, I do get kind of sick of talking about it, but then it, but then I don't because I know that so many people are being sort of swept up into progressive Christianity. So whatever I can do to maybe save, uh, you know, whatever God might do to use my ministry to rescue some people out of it or uh, help people interact with it is always a joy and very fulfilling for me. But so, yeah, I, as you mentioned, I have a podcast and a YouTube channel, which is what this is all about. And uh, I just try and focus in on the movement of progressive Christianity. And so all of my topics and my my subject matter that we talk about on the podcast will in some way touch mm-hmm. on progressive Christianity and how to interact with it. And so, I mean, it can, but it can run the gamut from just basic apologetics all the way to, I just did a series on spiritual abuse because all of that's sort of related to the movement of progressive Christianity. And so, and then as you mentioned, I just wrote a book called Another Gospel, A Lifelong Christian Seeks Truth in Response to Progressive Christianity. And it's really my story of walking through a really dark time of doubt that was initiated because of an experience I had in a progressive Christian church. And so I walk the reader through that story, but hopefully also giving biblical points and apologetics and certain things to help them interact with it as well. Yeah, um, it's interesting talking about spiritual abuse there because any one of these things we could talk about for an hour or more and it would just blow into a series of podcasts instead of just one. But it's so interconnected, isn't it? This issue of progressive Christianity and spiritual abuse, actually, in some ways, they're one and the same thing. Mm. Um, do you want to... I've not read your book, uh, so apologies. Um, my beautiful wife, Mary, was the, was the one that put me on to check out... You should check out this lady called Elisa over in the States. She's she's saying some some really smart stuff. And so sorry that Mary's not here today, but we will read your book, but... The article that I've read on on your website just about the the kind of summarized version, um, you know, of of the five points to look out for. Let's go through those, shall we? Because we could maybe then talk about the elements of spiritual abuse and how that may or may not relate to any one of those singular points. Um, this verse was very much on my mind in in great physical weakness today. Just um, had a slow day at this end, but this this was just burning on my heart in Jesus' words in Matthew thirteen just at the beginning of his parables and the discourse around that. He, he, he says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. That word longed that was in my mind very much that many, many prophets, many righteous people longed to see and to hear. Mm. 
And this issue of progressive Christianity, um, or so-called Christianity, I should say, is incredibly serious. It's not. This is not. We're not talking about pet fancies. We're not talking about, you know, personal preferences. Um, I don't like that kind of music, so I'm just not going to listen to that kind of music. I'm going to listen to something else. This is. These are infinitely important realities mm-hmm. that we have been graced with eyes and ears to be able to even think about. Um, and I know, I know, you know what I'm talking about for, for folk, folk listening. Um, it's just this immense sense of grace that we get to talk about this, and it's, uh, you know, it's incredibly serious. So, if if you wouldn't mind, maybe just talk to us about these five kind of telltale signs for, I mean, for the for, for starters, what what is progressive Christianity or so called? Maybe you could just kind of talk about that. Yeah, that'd be a good place to start because we want to make sure we're defining it properly, and. What you said is really important because you're right. It's not just a group of Christians who are maybe expanding their horizons politically a little bit or embracing the messy authenticity of their lives. This is a group of people who are teaching an entirely different religion. And that's why I call my book Another Gospel, because this is Mm -hmm. not just like, oh, we disagree on how to baptize people. This is core essential Uh, doctrines of the Christian faith that are under question from this group. And so uh, I think it's good to define it because it's not that what they're teaching and believing is anything new in church history. We've seen iterations of it all through church history. I mean, you could even just go all the way back to the Garden of Eden with the issue of authority, did God really say? Mm -hmm. Um, But for our purposes, I think a good working definition would be that it's a group of uh, people who grew up in the evangelical church and are questioning, rethinking, and even rejecting core beliefs of the Christian faith and are favoring cultural definitions of morality. And uh, so it's a bit of postmodernism mixed up with a bit of theological liberalism, I think is a, is a fair way to say it. Uh, it's very hard to define because progressive Christians are not creedal in the sense that they're all united around certain beliefs. If you're a progressive Christian, you, there's nothing you have to actually say you believe or, or affirm to be a progressive Christian. So it's really more, mm. I think they're much more united in the things that they deny. Um, so it's very <laughs> fluid. There's a broad spectrum of beliefs that fall under the umbrella of progressive Christian Christianity, but they tend to deny the same core gospel points. Yeah. And um, and we can talk through some of those uh, in a bit if you like. But I think this, ar- I actually wrote this article that you're referencing. It was the first thing to my memory, it's the first thing I wrote about progressive Christianity. So I had just this real basic apologetics blog. I didn't connect that people needed to understand progressive Christianity because for me, when I was, when my faith was being rebuilt out of uh, it's pretty serious faith crisis that I had, the progressive Christians were making the same arguments that the atheists were making. So it was the apologetics that was actually written toward atheism that helped me. And so this was the first article that I wrote specifically about progressive Christianity, and it, it kind of went viral. And I think that what that told me was that there were a lot of Christians who were facing this, and they didn't have language for mm. it. They needed resources. And so that's when I decided to sort of zero in on progressive Christianity and focus on it. But essentially, I wrote this to just give people— Um, some red flags to look for. Like, if you think your church might be heading toward progressive Christianity, look for these things. And the first one is probably the the biggest one, and that is their view of the Bible. So in progressive churches, or even if you have a progressive pastor at an evangelical church, there's going to be an emphasis on the human part of the Bible and a de-emphasis on the divine. So in progressive Christianity, very often they'll refer to the Bible as a human book that's written about God. And so it's not that it's authoritative for our lives, but we can just read it and understand what people believed about God in the times and places in which they lived. And so uh, progressive Christians still might use the term inspired by God, but they mean something different. So so I have um, under each one of these sections just a little quotes you might hear. You might hear people say these. And interestingly, every single one of these, I actually, somebody who is in progressive Christianity actually said it to me directly, or I got it out of a progressive book. So all of these are, are rooted in things I've actually heard in progressive Christianity. So if you hear things like, 
you know, the Bible is a human book or it's a profoundly human book. Um, if you hear people say, well, I disagree with the Apostle Paul on a particular issue, that would be a huge red flag. Um, if they refer to the Bible as being immoral in certain spots, and so we have to reject the parts that aren't true, um, or, or hear somebody say the Bible contains the Word of God, but it's not in its entirety the Word of God. So that's the first one. That's kind of the um, the the overview of the progressive view of the Bible, which really denies the historic Christian view of the Bible, which is that it's the inspired Word of God, and therefore it's authoritative for our lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we can yeah, go to I mean, the second one if you want. But was that um, when was this? By the way, the when did you? Publish this. When did you begin this was to kind in of hone in? 2017. 2017. Yeah. Um, looks like May of 2017 is when I uh-huh. put this out. Yeah. And of course, the world has changed massively. And I don't just mean the pandemic. I mean before that, even in the last five years prior mm-hmm. to this, um, the the world was was lurching. And but sorry, I don't want to. I, I could talk. We could. Yeah, just carry on. Okay. <laughs> Feel free. So the second red flag that you would want to look for is any kind of uh, feelings being emphasized over facts. And in fact, in uh, progressive churches, on some of their belief statements, you'll even see uh, the the personal conscience being elevated. We respect everyone's personal conscience, right, to, to guide you morally. So we're not going to say that there's this moral standard you have to live up to or anything like that. And so, of course, if you marry that with the view of the Bible, then you can see what's starting to emerge here is that in progressive Christianity, it's really your own thoughts, feelings, preferences, your own inner moral compass that becomes your authority. And so things that you might hear is uh, if a progressive Christian reads a Bible verse, they might say, well, that verse doesn't really resonate with me. Or they might say, well, I thought, you know, homosexuality was a sin until I met some gay people. Or um, Mm -hmm. I just can't believe that God would send good people to hell. And so some of these core moral and even doctrinal things get put aside in favor of what somebody would would do if they were God. You know, if, if, if I was God, I might do it this way. <clears throat> and so I can't believe in a God who would do it that way is is what something you'll hear quite often in progressive yeah. Christianity. And then um, Yeah. So in in other words in other words, the subjective um trumping the objective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a subjective morality. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then the third one is that you're gonna look for a willingness for essential core Christian doctrines to be reinterpreted or redefined. Um, And so there's not only in in progressive Christianity are they open to redefining and reinterpreting hot button like cultural topics like abortion or sexuality, things like that, but also just even core essential doctrines like the resurrection of Jesus, the deity of Jesus. In, In progressive Christianity, we have to understand that all beliefs are sort of put on the same level. And so there's not one thing that's more important than another. And so you can kind of cobble together your own version of Christianity. And in fact, I I write in the article, the only sacred cow is no sacred cows. There's just, that's the the one core tenet is that there are no core tenets in a way. And so uh, how that's going to sound when people are talking is you might hear somebody say the resurrection of Jesus doesn't have to be a historical fact in order for it to speak truth or in order for it to teach us some kind of lesson. Mm -hmm. Um, So you see a lot of the miraculous uh, stories in the Bible de-supernaturalized and sort of said, well, we don't really, it doesn't matter if Jesus really healed all those people or if people really came out of their graves. It's it's really more about the moral tale we can learn from these stories. Mm-hmm. Um, you might hear somebody say something like, the church's historic position on sexuality is archaic, it's ancient, it needs to be updated within a modern framework. Um, you might hear people say that the idea of a literal hell is offensive to non-Christians, so we need to reinterpret hell. And so there's just this willingness to maybe use a lot of the same words, but redefine what those words mean. And that's something mm-hmm. that's really common in progressive Christianity. They'll even use words like incarnation, resurrection, even Christ is used with a different definition. So you always want to make sure you ask what people mean when they use certain words because that's a huge thing. 
And then uh, number four, historic terms are redefined. So not just doctrines are reinterpreted, historic terms are redefined. And so, uh, for example, I tell a story about when I was in the progressive class, the pastor told me he believed the Bible was divinely inspired. And that sort of put me at ease and like, okay, well, we're, we're on the same ball field, right? And then I found out later he didn't mean inspired like breathed out by God. Uh, what he meant was that it's inspiring or that it's inspires you on the same level as a C.S. Lewis book or right. something like that. And so yeah. it was. we were talking about two totally different things with that one. So you mm-hmm. might hear people say God wouldn't punish sinners because he's love. Of course, that's reinterpreting and redefining the word love. Um, sure, the Bible is authoritative or inspired, but we've just misunderstood it for 2,000 years. So it's like, yeah, we still we still like the Bible, but we just need to read it differently than any Christian has ever read it before. Um, It's not our job to talk to anyone about sin. It's just our job to love them. Again, that's a redefinition of sin and the word love, Mm -hmm. that you would be able to put those things together. So that would be the fourth one. And the fifth one is that the heart of the gospel message shifts from sin and redemption to social justice. Now, they've refined Mm -hmm. their gospel a bit since I've written this. Um, So I'll add a layer to this. They do have a theological gospel now that I'm starting to see more and more. And that is, in fact, I pulled it right off of a progressive Christian belief statement, and it just said the good news, and that was with capital letters, meaning the gospel. The good news is that you are inherently united with God. So in progressive Christianity, they don't believe your sin separates you from God. You are already saved. You are already loved. You are already in. There's nothing you have to believe, do. There's no faith necessary. There's no sacrifice of Jesus necessary. There's no atonement necessary. Uh, and, And many progressive authors will say that outright. Richard Rohr says that outright. Right, There was no sacrifice necessary, no atonement necessary. You just need to realize how beloved you are. Now, of course, that's there, there's a bit of a vacuum left there because if you don't have the redemption story, they still got to have a redemption story. So what happens is they end up, uh, if you don't think that you are a sinner who is corrupting the world, right? Because it's people that corrupt systems, right? Systems are made up of people. But in they'll, they'll often take on the secular... Uh, cultural definition of social justice, which if you don't think you're a sinner, then the corruption has to come from somewhere. So in according to secular social justice, it's the corrupt systems that are corrupting people because people are good. And so any system that gives people an unequal outcome has to be demolished and torn down, and everything has to be completely with an equal outcome. And so mm-hmm. the redemption story then becomes advocating for social justice causes, LGBTQ inclusion and um, critical race theory and things like this is, is just infected the progressive church because if they can tear down those systems and that's going to create like that Marxist utopia that people always think that they can have. But even if you could do it, which I don't think you can, biblically speaking, that's just not the way it works biblically even. Heaven's not going to be a Marxist utopia. There's rewards in heaven. Different people are going to have different rewards. It's not going to be an equal outcome in heaven. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that that we see that happen with the, the idea of inherent goodness well, then we have to figure out why the world is bad and tear down those systems to make it all equal. And and you often see a lot of language of critical theory, critical social justice in progressive churches. Mm. Even listening to you talk about it, in one way, it's quite intimidating because it it is such, for, for folk who aren't maybe used to thinking like this or communicating about this, let alone with force, you know, Ephesians 5, 11, being aware that the Bible does say, hey, guys, it is okay to expose works of darkness. You know, it's, it can be quite an intimidating, it's almost a temptation. Let's just pretend it's not their head in the sand and let's just hope for the best. Je- Jesus is coming. Um, the, the thing that occurred to me there, Elisa, just as you were talking, though, is that some of those things... Uh, are so obviously not biblical that you'd have to be either unregenerate mm-hmm. or will, or willfully rebellious to even entertain um, some of them. I think my my question for all of us is to do with how progressive Christianity, and I hate using that phrase, um, when it becomes more subtle, and I think that's the way that the enemy often works, isn't it? He makes he makes some of this stuff widespread and much less obvious 
um, the raw, the rules of this world, it becomes much more obvious, doesn't it? But what would you say to folk who are, for example, looking at your article, reading your book, thinking, right, okay, identified, 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 um, these these traits, but what happens if it infiltrates a church or a denomination or a, a cultural context that is widely recognized as being Christian and yet people are thinking, flip me, I'm beginning to recognize some of these traits in a church that might not be being called out as being progressive. Does that make sense? Yeah. And and that's the primary expression of progressive Christianity is going to be coming, infiltrating in in evangelical churches. And so that's an important thing to understand. There, it, there aren't a ton of progressive Christian churches that identify themselves that way. Uh, they're, they're popping up more and more, but many progressive Christians go to mainline Protestant denominations that already embrace that theological liberalism, but many progressive Christians are in evangelical churches. And so mm. what we see is it infiltrates it can, it can come from the top down, like if there's a new hire, a new pastor that tends to lean more progressive, who, remember, he's using a lot of the same words, and people are assuming that he means certain things, and so it can be very confusing for people, because mm -hmm. they might think, well, was that didn't, I mean, that wasn't all wrong, so was it progressive? And it can be very confusing. So it can come top down like that, but also from the ground up, you know, progressive Christians who are in small groups who may not even realize that they're progressive Christians. But they, uh, you know, they, they are gay affirming, for example. And the only way to do that is to mm -hmm. radically reinterpret the Bible or, or lower its authority. And so it's all kind of tied together. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that uh, I think that one thing that's really important uh, for people to realize is that we have to confront it. We are not free to simply say, okay, I just we're going to just agree to disagree on this stuff. We can't yeah. do that. So people who are seeing it, you have to, you know, call for a meeting with your pastor. And pastors, like, I, this is the one message I have to pastors all the time. Elder boards, if there's a pastor on staff who's teaching this stuff, you have to deal with it. I just had some pastors approach me at a conference, and they said, there's a, there's a woman teaching in our church that's leading people astray. And they told me some of the things she was teaching, and it was really heretical stuff. And I just looked at them and I said, you, you have to get rid of her. You know, I mean, you have to confront her, of course. And they said, well, we've done that. We've, we've confronted her. We've done all this. And these are the guys that are actually in charge. And they said, well, we're afraid to do that because she's a woman and we're a bunch of guys. <laughs> and I was like, you guys, you can't, you have to, you can't, you have to protect the women of your church and not allow someone, no. whoever it may be, to teach heretical ideas and lead all these women astray, like stand mm. up and do your, you know, do your jobs. And so like, I know that sounds kind of harsh, but that's my word to pastors. It's so hard. They don't want to let someone go that mm. has, maybe they've been working with for 10 years and they genuinely love this person, but that's why there are biblical steps in place to confront. Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, you want, you want to try to, to let the person repent and, and, and all of that. But if the person is not going to repent for what they're teaching, we can't allow it in the church, we can't allow somebody like that to teach, mm -hmm. and that's why I think I think that's the biggest battle right now is people having the courage to do the difficult things like that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be really honest, um, and well, I'm going to be direct if that's okay, because uh, <laughs> I know we're on the same page here. For folk who, let me give you a quick example. I heard somebody who is dear to us recently. We were involved in some work outside an abortion clinic here in Edinburgh. And it wasn't actually the the pastor, and I know the, the person won't mind us saying this, will obviously remain nameless, but the, the it wasn't the pastor of their church who had said this. It was a senior leader of a network of churches who would, I would actually think, broadly speaking, have a reformed type uh, theology. And the this is quite serious that the word from this senior leader of leaders, leader of leaders, a man of men, was that, guys, it's perfectly fine if you want to go outside an abortion clinic and hold a placard, fine. But don't you dare pray. Don't you, as in out, out loud, don't you, don't you dare begin to say anything or whatever. The point, the point this pastor was making is that, church, we guys, we should not be confronting culture. Mm. 
Now, that is so antithetical. That's so opposite to my understanding of what it means. Not it just It's the opposite to what my understanding is of being a lover of Jesus. Um, and this is my question. This is my circuitous question. Is Do you think it's realistic that in a context like that, where it's already got as far as that or it's as bad as that, do you think that people are actually... Is it realistic to think that you can go to a, a church leadership or a culture like that and expect there to be sufficient seismic change, which is what it would need to be for there to be a faithful understanding of what it means to be a disciple? Do you think it's realistic mm. that the church are going to change, that the, those church leaders are going to change? Or actually, are we are we making this process more difficult for people because we're kind of trying to, in effect, we're trying to soften the blow mm. of an, ine- an inevitable situation, which is that you guys need to leave. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'll i be honest. I, I'm sort of a skeptic. I have a pretty pessimistic nature when it comes to stuff like this. So, no, I don't yeah, expect I... that a lot of pastors are going to change. I've talked to too many people who have tried it. They, they go, but I still think you have to do it. You still have to take the biblical approach. Um, go, go to your pastors, express your concerns respectfully, humbly, uh, but there, you know, in most cases, it's going to be you that has to move on because, and I, I mean, look, I know that the Holy Spirit can do anything. I'm not at all saying that God can't change someone's hearts, but we, that's his job. So our responsibility is to, uh, respectfully bring our concerns to the pastors, have that meeting. Um, uh, you do know, you, can I, let me, let, let me interject on that because, yeah. um, because, because in the back of my mind is spiritual abuse. And I listened to one of your podcasts with your with your dear friend. It was obvious that you both had a really close walk and close friendship and so on. And again, if Mary and I, if Mary was here now and we'd had a four way, we'd, we'd just be sharing similar stories and so on. You can relate to those types of mm-hmm. very unique pains. But what this this thing of going to pastors who I think are so wayward in that respect is it in a sense you're obviously thinking of the biblical. Uh, maturity of going to your brother, etc. But is is it almost? I'm thinking of the spiritual abuse that's to, that w- that almost will definitely come if you're in such an unhealthy context. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, for some people, that's not so much of an issue. You can just deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for others, it can be controlling. It can be manipulating. It can be crushing. Yeah. Um, you know. So what what would you say in that kind of? Um, I've lost you on my camera here. There you are. What, what would you say to that? Yeah, no, and that's a good point to bring up. I think that here's what I might say. If you're a younger Christian, a less mature Christian, and you start to see this stuff, you yeah. I don't think you're necessarily required to go have a meeting with the pastor, right? It, you you need to protect yourself. And if it's time to go, just it's time to go. You know, you, if you're in an unhealthy situation, it's okay to leave a church. That's the thing about spiritual abuse. If you feel like you're not allowed to leave or you feel like, um, you know, somebody has that kind of power or control over you, um, mm. you are not required to stay in, in a church. Now, we also don't want to create a culture of church hopping and things like that. But if, if, it's, if you're starting to see things that are giving you serious red flags about this, it's okay to go search for a biblically faithful church. That's, that's okay. Um, I guess I would be saying it more to mature Christians who might have some influence. If you're, even if you're a leader, if you're involved, you know, hopefully if you're a mature Christian, you are going to be involved in your church. And sometimes, you know, you might be spotting this stuff really early. Maybe it's just a a curriculum that was chosen for a a small group study and you're able to say, hey, um, you know, I have some concerns about this curriculum. Here's why. Um, You never know. You never know. And again, you just be led and, and do it biblically. Um, but yeah, that is a good point. You know, you, d- you don't want to in- engage in something where you're being manipulated and things are spinning. It's always okay to go find a, a, a biblically faithful church. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that's a full answer, but that's that's how I would parse it out for somebody asking. No, thank you. It is. And it, uh, of course, you know, we pray, don't we, that these types of church cultures are convicted and, you know, pastors and leaders who are wayward are arrested at, at the level of their conscience, and there is profound change and repentance and tears and weeping. That, that's that's what we're praying for. That's what we're longing for. Yeah. Um, just conscious of conscious of time here. Um, let's just finish with this thought, if that's okay. I've just noticed your, um, and again, thank you for being so honest. I'm sure it's helping 
many people, when you talk about your period of profound doubt, that's a plosive nightmare on a microphone, isn't it? A period of profound doubt. Yeah. <laughs> um, but could you maybe, what, what are your thoughts on, because uh, again, deconstructing is quite a buzz thing. Uh, some, will, some will relate to that process. And of course, it will be more genuine for some than others. Um, as regards to where we are in church history at the minute, our conviction is that we're at a profound stage um, of church history. That you mentioned just a minute ago about church hopping which of course is never cool. Um, but I do think that many people struggle with the thought of leaving. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean leaving um, an, an obviously woke church. I mean just leaving a mentality that actually is much more taught than biblical. It's much more traditional than it is biblical. Um when their conscience is, we talk about conscience conscription, you know, when you can't engage at a local church level because there isn't a local church that's faithful, you, you know, some people will take the view that you can't, you can't be a true disciple or a true Christian unless you go and engage at a local church. Well, I'm sorry, but if you're not, if you're not in a position of um, facing the reality that there might not be for many, many people a local church that's faithful, well, that's a completely different equation. It's a completely different story so again my question would be to do with what are your thoughts um in a i guess in a similar way that you had this period of profound doubt with things generally but what would you have you found yourself stumbling into a realm like that again because of the pandemic and because of the the relationship with the of the church with the state that kind of thing uh, yeah. So specifically, just so I'm clear on your question, just kind of what do we do when we can't find a biblically faithful church or something along those lines? Or yeah, I mean, I didn't. Uh, I asked it. I asked that question far too waffly. But my my question really is to do with how radical do you think the solution needs to be to faith for for faithfulness to result when there is such a widespread and aggressive demonic strategy, you know? Yeah, this is a tough one. And this is something that everyone's just going to have to walk through, I think, on their own. But here's what I try to do. Um, I get criticized sometimes because I'm slow to call someone a false teacher. I'm slow. um, I'll give somebody a long rope if they have, you know, years of biblical faithfulness under their belt. I'll seek to really understand what they're saying and give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they misspoke or something along those lines. And I, I've been criticized for that. But the reason I do that is because I want to give other people the same courtesy I would want them to give me. If I I could I could easily be buying into something that's that's a bit wrong. And if everybody just if we just write each other off and you know, don't like there were a lot of for example, I was very slow to speak out on the Enneagram. Um, a because I didn't know much about it. B I didn't really see that it was a big deal for a long time. Uh, there were people who would write me emails, please talk about the Enneagram. And I just, I didn't. What, what, I, what is that, uh, Lisa? Sorry. Okay. So the Enneagram is, I don't know if it's popular where you are. It's really popular here. It's a, essentially it's a personality test, but when people, a lot of churches use it to work on their interpersonal, you know, communications with each other. But the problem with the Enneagram is that it's deeply rooted in the occult. A lot of Christians don't know that. It was actually mm-hmm. originally, uh, it came about through automatic writing. So someone was channeling, it, literally channeling a demon and came up with this um, personality test. And, and it gets a hold of people. It's different than other personality tests that might be rooted in legitimate psychology or something. This is something that mm-hmm. when people get into it, they become really obsessed with it. Um, they start to see everybody through the lens of their Enneagram number. And so, um, but I was just really slow to speak out about it because I saw people that I would consider to be biblically faithful who were using it. And I was just like, ah, it's just not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, there really came a point, enough people were like, please, you you have to see this. You have to be, I finally did. And I, I really actually, you know, the Lord really kind of softened my heart. And I realized that some of my motives for not wanting to talk about it weren't exactly pure. And I had to repent and be like, man, I was, I was pulling the punch on that because I just didn't want to get in the, I didn't want to get in yeah. and make them do something messy. You know, I just get in the middle of a bunch of people and what they were like, you know, doing and stuff. So, so I'm glad people had patience <laughs> with me on that. And so I, I, I say that because 
we have to be so careful not to just write people off and cancel them because they might be sort of talking like, wait, where, where are they going? We have to be patient. We have to give them some time, see what happens when they're confronted. Um, and so it's the same with churches. I'll give, I'll give churches a lot of grace, especially if I'm pretty persuaded that the elder board and the leaders are solid, but maybe there's just something they don't see. And so I'll give a long rope there. Um, I have a friend who I think this is helpful, and I think this was her solution to being gracious but also being truthful and knowing when it's time to leave. And I recommend this to everybody because it's so brilliant. But she kept a, a notebook for a year in a church where she kept having red flags. But then it's like she'd have the red flag, and then everything would be fine for a couple weeks. And then they, he would say something again. And then so she wrote down every single time that he said something that gave her a red flag in this notebook. She'd have it with her every Sunday in church. After a year, she went back and looked through everything, and it was clear to her they had to go. Like they had to leave because all of that was compiled and she'd been taking those notes. So something like that can be good. Um, if you sense that you're in the point where you're, you're starting to lose your own faith or you're start, they're starting to change your mind on things that are not biblical, I mean, run. Just run. You don't, you're not required to stay somewhere that's confusing you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it depends on a person's spiritual maturity. It depends on what they're called to do in that situation. But never feel like you can't. Just go somewhere mm-hmm. else that has, mm-hmm. you know, more of a biblical. And, and, you know, look, if we're all forced, you know, if there's a situation in which there is not a biblically faithful church, it's better to not go to church officially than mm-hmm. to go to a biblically unfaithful church, you know. So I don't know what that yeah. looks like yet, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, mm-hmm. we may be forced back into home churches. That's what yeah. that's what it was like in the first century, so. Yeah. Yeah, my, my take on that is that we're afforded great— luxuries at the minute we have been for centuries with decades and centuries um i think we see that changing i think you think of the cultural marxism you think of the woke elite the wokerati as we like to call them you know wokerati yeah at the moment we're still afforded the luxury to choose whether you know whether you lift your voice about jesus or not the time will come i think quite soon where actually it will just be common knowledge um Mm. People will be knocking on your door, that kind of thing. So I think we're still at, we're still at a point where we, we are afforded great luxuries. Um, hence the emphasis that we talk about a lot, which is preparation. We ha- he, he's, he's doing what he can in his loving, sovereign, loving kindness to get his people to prepare. Yes. You know, and the bar is so, so low, Lisa, isn't it? I'm sure you understand that and agree that the, the bar is so low that often you, you can spend a lifetime, you can spend a, li- a lifetime in a quandary of should I stay or should I go? I'm yeah. tempted to break it. I'm tempted to break out in song. Yeah. Um, you know, you, and, and the next thing you know, you're in your 50s and it's like, oh, actually, no, I, I should have li- I should have left 20 years ago type thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so final question, because I could talk to you for another half an hour and that would be going beyond the realm of our of our <laughs> time together. But Listen, can I ask just a, another direct question about progressive stuff, which mm-hmm. is that I think most people listening won't be in a situation where they've got, you know, they're in a church where the divinity of Christ is being denied, for example, but they may well be either in a church directly um, or massively influenced by one without being a member. So, for example, through music, worship, resources, books, mm-hmm. teaching, that kind of thing. We're living in that age increasingly. Um, where this progressive crap, it's it's in the mainstream big time. And that includes a lot of denominations um, that I think are just regarded as, as household staples, you know, bread and butter of, you know, because of a certain leader. I'm, tr- I'm trying to be gracious. I'm trying to be careful. Yeah. But there, there are many, many church leaders. And So what would you say to guys who are conscious of these things, but actually it's in the mainstream already um, within churches and denominations and names and brands and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. that actually are regarded as being safe and, and they're far from it? Yeah, so I would love to see... It's okay. So I forgot to figure out how I'm going to answer this. And I'll I'll comment on this first because I was sort of (laughs) laughing inside my head when you said the bar is so low. Like I was just invited to be on a, I'm going to keep this real vague, but I was invited to, to be interviewed on a certain platform 
that is um, not a typical platform for me, and I had to pray about it because there's some things associated with that platform. I think this, you know, the actual platform itself is okay, but there's some associations I'm concerned about. But ultimately, I prayed about it and came to the conclusion they probably need it. You know, they need this message. And the bar was like, this person's at least not a heretic. I was like, that's where the that's where the bar is set these days. Just not a heretic. I'll take not a heretic today. You know what I mean? So, yeah, but as far as just all the big brands and, and of course, you know, music and all of this, uh, for years, this was such a difficult thing for me as a worship mm-hmm. leader. And I'm not really leading worship anymore. So I can speak. It's it's easier to be clearer about it because I'm not having to actually execute the things I'm saying. But when I was a worship leader, it was really tough because there were songs that the, you know, the leaders would want us to do that were associated with a church that I think teaches heretical theology. And so um, I, and I found myself doing all kinds of gymnastics about it, like, well, I mean, this, you know, this song could mean this, it could also mean this. So where I kind of landed with it is that when it comes to music, it, the, each song has to stand on its own. And I'm still kind of at the point where I would love to see churches just remove some of those artists and brands and anything produced for their, through a certain record label. Uh-huh. Um but at the same time, I have grace for those who aren't quite there yet. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think at this point, I'm willing to say, look, let each song, but really put these song lyrics through the ringer. Don't just sing dumb songs because yeah. people like them, you know. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not asking that question really in terms of, you know, the classic thing that we've heard up to here. Like, should we use certain church songs? Yeah. From certain, I'm not asking that. Okay. Uh, what, what, what I'm getting at is... Um, the, I think the courage that's going to be required, and I think the point you made is so, so important, Lisa, to do with whether you're a new Christian or a mature Christian, because how you kind of, you know, what, what does a new Christian do where they're reading their Bible, lapping it up, devouring yeah. it, and then they're going into a, a congregated context? It's like, hold on a minute. Um, you know, it, it, it's you just have to assume that the Holy Spirit will do his work, which only he can do. But I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get at, at the concerns I have about... Let, let me just say this. Um, you know, I, I was part of a massive seeker-sensitive church here in here in the UK, and th- this is the point. We weren't at any point thinking, do these guys deny Jesus' divinity, blah, 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 but that the effect of this progressive stuff, ha- particularly over years, is so damaging. Mm. You know, we, we tend to think of spiritual abuse as being the kind of stuff that you you guys were talking about recently. I, I'm talking about just not being taught properly. Mm. Like the, the, the whole thing of neglect rather yeah. than active abuse. Um, and I know you don't know me from Adam, but I, I've been, I was saved when I was about nine. So I've, I've walked with Jesus for 30 plus years. And yet, even for me, and I've often thought this, what about the guys that were newly saved in that church? Or who'd only been saved for a couple of years? What what kind of impact mm. is there on the kind of the most vulnerable, as it were, among us? Yeah. And I just, do you know what? I just think this progressive stuff, it's far more pervasive than we realise. To the point where, you know, like I'm going to just say it: like the, the Hill songs and the Bethels and all these churches that attract, you know, hundreds and thousands of young people, yeah. and yet it's it's not overt progressive. Christian, it's right. not over. It's not. It's not. It's not doing this. It's more kind of just under the surface. Well, it's actually. I think that's. It's actually a different movement. Um, there's definitely some overlap, but especially what we see coming out of Bethel is more what I would call the New Apostolic Reformation. I've done a couple podcasts on that. It's. It's a mm-hmm. different. It's. I think it's two sides of the same coin, and if the coin is biblical authority, mm-hmm. you have. Uh, you know, you have one side, the progressive side, being more like. Well, we're just not worried about it. And then you have the other side where they're saying we value the Bible and we value biblical authority, but yet if we get some sort of mystical word from God that disagrees with it, even though they won't say this <laughs> in in action, they'll yeah. go with that. And so there's this this whole – and that's ripe for spiritual abuse too. So, yeah, I think they're, they're, they're different movements that have a lot of overlap, um, but they they express themselves differently. And the tougher thing about the whole Bethel Hillsong paradigm is that you have on paper gospel essentials affirmed. Whereas in progressive Christianity is a lot easier exactly. because they're yeah. denying all that stuff. They're like, yeah, no, we don't. We're, we've moved beyond all that. Whereas in mm-hmm. in the NAR movement, which I would include, you know, Bethel and and 
many Hill songs, maybe not all of them, but mm-hmm. in that movement, there's there's this idea that oh no we we believe in the blood of Jesus we we believe the atonement the deity of Jesus the second coming all of this stuff they're going to affirm a lot of those core gospel essentials but they're adding so much that makes it so aberrant um, yeah. that so I think that for a young believer who might have found the Lord in a situation like that like that conversion could be genuine and then maybe the Lord mm-hmm. leads them out of that or maybe they're in there for a while and that's part of their you know their journey that the Lord uses but. Um, yeah, that, that's a tricky one, man, man because mm. like, especially that supernatural school of ministry, I've known people who've gone there and it just messes up their heads. And I've also seen God bring people back out of it and, and it's tough, mm-hmm. but sometimes, you know, sometimes people have to walk through that stuff, mm-hmm. um, to come out on the other side, like, just like I kind of had to walk through that progressive church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I think the Lord has his ways. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of hope because I think he's shaking the church and genuine believers are going mm-hmm. to start seeing this stuff and we don't all see it at the same time. But yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. incredibly disheartening when you have, like I look at sometimes, I'll go and look at the podcast charts and it's depressing. <laughs> it's utterly depressing to see what yeah. the most popular Christian podcasts in the world are, or especially in the States. You know, you look at the States and it's a mix of prosperity gospel, new apostolic reformation, and then that sort of feel-good, seeker-sensitive, non-confrontative Christianity. And then you got, like, Mm -hmm. you know, some of the more woke stuff. And then there's, like, two or three interspersed that are, you know, pretty solidly, you know, pretty solid down the middle. It's depressing. And then progressives. Oh, my gosh, the progressives are all over that chart. So it's just, like, this is what what people Mm -hmm. are listening to. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, I don't know if this is a succinct answer to your question, but I think it comes down to discipleship. Who's Mm -hmm. discipling you? Are you being discipled Mm -hmm. by, uh, you know, podcasts, or are you being discipled by a real believer who walks with you in your life? Mm -hmm. Because— I think Do you know so what? I, th- I think many people are being po- are being discipled um, by content, digital content. Yes. Because because of the pressure to be to be like, oh, I need to be in the I need to be in the building. It's ten thirty on Sunday. I need to be in the building. If I'm not, I'm not a Christian. Or I'm backsliding. And actually, irrespective of what kind of what what they're getting fed, and then they have to go away. So it's kind of like a double whammy, isn't it? They're getting often times, uh, you know. A very poor diet locally, and then they're getting stuff that they think is topping them up. It's just topping them up with it's like having a KFC after a McDonald's. Yeah. Um, we're talking in metaphors, and my time's gone here. And I, I, li- I could, we, I'm sure we both could keep on just talking. But um, did you have? Sorry, did I interrupt you? Did you have anything else no, you no, want to no, just fin- was, finish with? It. It's just it, you know, it's like it's a tough problem. It's really a tough problem. We need the local mm. church to to be strong and really disciple people. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it strikes me just just bef- before we pray that um, just thinking of that scripture at the beginning about you know the preciousness of being given eyes and ears to to see any truth, anything right, anything true. Um, this kind of thing is not going to be navigated like a walk in the park. You know, it's there's there's great friction, great forces involved, and. Um, we do need to be in the place of intercession. We do need to be in the place just on our knees in prayer. But it's going to involve, I think, very, very difficult decisions. And for a lot of people, great heartache, anguish, you know, the anguish of Christian discipleship. Yeah. It's really good to chat. Um, so thank you. Thank, thank you. you. It's great thank to talk you. with you. Yeah. Would you pray for us? Just this is into the pray. <laughs> yeah. So without, without being legalistic, we try and finish with prayer if you'd be too kind. Yeah, absolutely. Father, thank you so much for this discussion today and so many heavy topics and heavy things facing your church, but we rest and Mm. trust and know that you are sovereign over history. And in that, we can actually find great joy in how the church is being shaken up all over the world. Lord, we we know that you're using uh, what the the devil meant for evil. You're you're using things and, Mm. and orchestrating things that we can't even see 
that we can't even be able to comment on because you know the end from the beginning. Mm. And we trust you. We trust you in all of this, Lord. And we just pray that for anyone listening to this today mm. who might be resonating with the message, but maybe they lack courage, would you give them courage? Mm. If they lack clarity, would you give them clarity? Father, You, I was just reading in James where you, you promised to give wisdom to whoever asks for it. May we ask for wisdom and then you mm. give that wisdom to us to know when is it time to leave a church? When is it time to confront? When is it time to just run for your life? Mm. And Father, I pray that you would rise up true mm. disciples in local churches to walk with people and to, to hold the gospel um, mm. strong. As we know, this is a qualification of the elders is to refute mm. false doctrine. That's a literal qualification of mm. a biblical elder. I pray that we would take that more seriously, that your church would take mm. that more seriously. And I mm. pray that you would... Um, Ultimately, you are you are our shepherd. Shepherd us through this, Lord. We trust mm. you. We know you're up to great things, and mm. we pray for truth to go forth. And mm. it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Mm. Amen. Father, we, we do thank you for kindredness. We thank you for that immense sense of anything's possible when your people come together and agree with who you say you are. And, Lord, we pray now for that bar that is... is um, we talk about and we think about, but Lord, we long for your glory. We long for the name of Jesus to be lifted high. We long for as many people to be drawn to you as possible. And so we think of the bar and we think of your glory and we pray use us to see that thing, not just incrementally lifted, but massively, significantly off the off the rails, as it were. And Lord, I, I pray especially for, the, for that lingering effect of seeker-sensitive, progressive, spirituality which is no christian discipleship at all we look we pray that whether there is a, a sense of being intimidated into not being too intense people can't be serious without fear of being labeled as being whatever Lord, we, we pray for that intense we ask for that sobriety and seriousness in your people in those safer ages those who are new but we pray that there'd be a willingness to um confront culture in that way and confront the the, the spiritual cultures that aren't aren't where prepared to be um serious and sobered and so we ask for that sobering in your people across every nation in jesus precious name amen, amen. Thanks to everybody for listening to this episode and we trust that it's been a blessing and encouragement. Thank you again to Elisa for joining us this week. Consider chucking it out to your Facebook or to your social media networks or maybe email a few friends. It's a great conversation and it'd be good for as many people to listen as is pos. Please also consider being one of our patrons. We're looking for people to continue to support the work that we're doing, expanding into the new year. And until next week, let's keep praying. Come Lord Jesus, above all things, Maranatha. Maranatha.